This is Madeline Cantwell, Orion's Managing Director. This interview is part of the Orion Podcast series, which, like Orion Magazine, is totally ad-free and independent. Support Orion by making a donation at orionmagazine.org slash donate. I'm Helen Weibrow, Orion's Editor-at-Large, and I'm speaking today with Fred Bonson, author of the Orion essay, The Ecology of Prayer, Faith and Resistance in the Age of Climate Change. Fred is the author of Soil and Sacrament, a spiritual memoir of food and faith. He directs the Food, Health, and Ecological Wellbeing Program at Wake Forest University's School of Divinity. Fred, welcome to Orion's podcast. Thanks, Helen. It's great to be with you. So, Fred, your essay in Orion, The Ecology of Prayer, is part of a series of features that Orion is publishing on spirituality and the environment. And your own background and the focus of your essay is the Christian faith. And you offer some thoughts on the church's response to the natural world in general and climate change in particular. I wanted to begin with the perspective you bring to this piece. You have a permaculture art orchard in the mountains of North Carolina. I know you grow a lot of your own food. And you bring that appreciation and knowledge of the land into the classroom at Wake Forest You said to me that mostly I'm trying to bring Christianity down to earth in my teaching. And I wondered if you could say more about what you mean by that. Yeah, thanks for that question. So what I mean by bringing or trying to bring Christianity back down to earth, I, you know, I grew up as a kid in Montana, just immersed in outdoor life, skiing and camping and climbing and bow hunting and, uh, scrambling around for crawdads in the Madison River, just, you know, fully immersed. And and yet I grew up with this kind of Christianity that was very disconnected from the natural world. That's how it felt. It felt very, what I, what I later learned is sort of neoplatonic. You know, it's just kind of up in the idea realm, up in the belief realm. And when I went to divinity school myself and then began reading more about Christian history and and studying the Bible a bit more, I just discovered that the faith is actually really rooted and earthy. And Jesus was a rooted, earthy Messiah. And it just seemed like this total disconnect that Christianity was so sort of uh, disconnected and disembodied, at least the Christianity I'd inherited here in America. And so with my students and in my classes, I'm I'm really trying to lift up that earthy rooted side of the faith and, um, and bring it back down to earth. Um, And on that sort of same theme, why do you think it's important that Christianity has a response to climate change? I mean, why, how would you argue that this seems like a spiritual or religious matter, the kind of decline of our ecosystems? Some might say that, that's not the realm of the church. And, and what would you say to that question? Yeah, well, I would say that, that Christianity really calls us to an embodied faith, to a faith that cares for people's bodies, but also for the body of the world and for the bodies of creatures, non-human creatures. So I would say that we have this, this responsibility and this, um, this gift that God offers us to, to care for this world. I mean, it's right there 
in the beginning of Genesis that God creates the first Adam from the Adama, the first human from the humus. So we're created from soil. We come from soil. We're soil creatures. In Augustine's wonderful phrase, we're terra animata, animated earth. And so it's, it's inescapable that we are part of this world, that we're bodies, that we live and move and have our being in creation. And the world is constantly moving in and out of us uh, through our food. And, um, you know, the air that we breathe, the water we drink, it's, it, we, are, we are the world. The world is us. There's no separation. And I think... Um, you know, back to what I was talking about, that Neoplatonic heresy within Christianity, we've sort of pretended that we're separate from the world. And so if we return to the idea that we are of the world and the world is us, then, then climate change should be, you know, right at the top of, of the list of things we're thinking about because uh, we're all affected by it. And so uh, to me, it's baffling that Christians don't think and talk about climate change. And that's part of what I want to do in my work and with this essay is sort of throw it in their face and say, look, this is, this is something that we all need to be um, hyper concerned about. Yeah. What, at what point would you say did you really awaken to the fact that there was this divide or this um almost schism in your in your your own personal sense of faith and how faith needs to be embodied in the world and the the church's response or lack thereof to what was happening and what you were seeing around you in terms of ecological crisis like at what point did you awaken to that and 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 maybe you can talk a little bit in that about your impetus to write this piece. Yeah. Well, in the late nineties, I was in divinity school getting a master's in theological studies. And I read Wendell Berry, who's beloved and well-known to your readers. Of course, uh, I read his collection of essays called sex economy, freedom and community. And he has this fantastic essay called Christianity and the survival of creation. And actually this, this essay was sort of, um, you know, a, a, a slipshod attempt to try to write an updated version of that 25 years later. I think he published that about, or he gave that talk 25 years ago. Um, and so I see my essay is very much responding to Barry's essay, Christianity and the Survival of Creation. But that was an early awakening for me. I read that, I think, in 98 or 99. And... Um, so reading Barry, that was a big intellectual shift. And then going to work in Chiapas, Mexico, uh, I described this in my book, Soil and Sacrament. I went and worked with a group of Mayan coffee farmers who were Catholics and who were pacifists and who, were, uh, who saw their faith as very integrated with their lifestyle as coffee farmers and as people of the land. Um, they, they didn't have that Western disconnect and part of that was the fact that they were indigenous, that they were uh, Tzotzil-speaking Mayans. And they didn't have that worldview of, you know, the dualistic worldview of mind and body or soul and, and body. Um, so living with them, I really uh, sort of got to see firsthand a more holistic agrarian kind of Christianity that, uh, 
that Barry championed in his work. In terms of the impetus for writing this essay, I, I felt like, um, you know, I've been part of the kind of progressive activist um, anti-climate change um, food system uh, activism kind of scene for quite a while now for the past 10 or 15 years or so. Um, and I just, I felt like within those circles, there's not enough space to talk about grief and lament and there aren't, there isn't the space to kind of question, you know, what, what if democracy fails? What if, what if we can't organize our way out of the Anthropocene as, as I said in the essay and I, I didn't really see anybody honestly grappling with those questions. And, and yet there were questions I was living with every day and, um, and feeling kind of a deep despondency over this winter, you know, after Trump got elected and just watching the slow unraveling of American democracy and watching him put Rex Tillerson in as secretary of state and then later pulling out of the Paris Accords. And it's just kind of one bad thing after, after another. And, you know, how do we grapple with that? How do we grapple with the, the possibility that activism may not be enough? And what is a, what kind of spirituality can sustain us through those kind of losses? And, um, and so that was kind of what set me off writing about this. And, I really kept turning back to the contemplative tradition within Christianity, uh, which, as I wrote, was so beautifully exemplified in Pope Francis' document, Laudato Si. You know, that's that's really a, uh, a contemplative manifesto for the 21st century in a lot of ways. Uh, how we grapple with climate change and social inequity, but also how we return to the sense that God is the divine lover constantly reaching out to us with mercy and with love and inviting us to respond in, in kind. So that was sort of the, the beginnings that set me off writing this piece. Yeah. I, I love that, that way you phrase that the Laudato Si is a contemplative manifesto for the 21st century. I think that's, that's really true. And you write a lot about the Pope's encyclical in the piece, and it's kind of a, a touchstone for this conversation about what if we can't organize our way out, you know, and what kind of spirituality can sustain us. I'm echoing your words. I mean, I, I think our definition of response in our culture has always involved action, right? The notion that response requires doing something. Yeah. Um, and you really argue for a different kind of response, not silence, not complete, not passivity, um, but not activism in the sense of organizing protest marches, you know, something different. Um, I think the way at one point in the essay you phrase it is that maybe what we need is more atonement and sacrifice, more sackcloth and ashes. Can you say a little bit more about what you mean by that? type of response? How is it different from a, pa a withdrawal into passivity? How is the contemplative response still an active um, awareness? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And it's one I don't feel I have a good answer to. It's, it's, a, it's a complicated question. But 
I, I want to say, I want to just clarify that I think what I'm trying to say in this essay is not category, is not that activism is ineffective categorically or that, um, or that we should give up on activism or protest. It's that it feels ineffective. It feels like it's not enough. It feels like, um, you know, the world is going to hell in a handbasket. And when the outer banks are going to be underwater within, you know, a century or two, how do we, how do we even grapple with that? You know, and it's not going to come through getting together down at the street corner and, and hoisting signs, you know, it's just not. And nor is it going to come, nor are we going to deal with it by, by signing petitions. And so I just don't, I don't feel like we have, we've given enough time, we meaning those of us who tend toward progressive activism, I don't feel like we've given enough time or energy. Um, I'll just speak for Christians. I don't feel like we Christians have given enough time or energy to lament and to the kind of um, examining of our own complicity in this massive Anthropocene project that we're you know, that we're unleashing upon the world. Um, and that project began centuries ago, you know, with the industrial revolution. And so it's not, it's not that we bear that guilt alone, but I don't feel like we give enough voice or thought to, to lament. And in the Christian tradition, you know, the, the Psalms, one third of the Psalms are lament. And it's just that kind of anguished wail at the state of injustice in the world and just yelling at God at times, you know, some of the Psalms, the imprecatory Psalms are just like these anguished cries at God. How could you, you know, how could this happen? And we're not, as we as Americans aren't very good at that. You know, we don't, we don't tend to, to go for those Psalms or we don't tend to go for lament. Um, we tend to sort of, leap immediately to solutions and to especially technological solutions. You know, how can we fix this? How can we, how can we make this better? And I just don't think that that's the first thought we should be having when it comes to climate change or or dealing with the Anthropocene. I feel like um, somewhere in there, we need to be taking time to lament that the Outer Banks are going to be no more in a century or two. Um, that, you know, we're in the midst of the sixth grade extinction of species, that the Larsen Sea ice shelf just calved off into the Weddell Sea. You know, where where is the space to honestly grapple with that? And I feel like the Christian contemplative tradition for me gives, it gives me that space to go and do that um, through contemplative prayer, through reading the Psalms, <clears throat> through... Um, through meditation and uh, and through withdrawal and retreat. One of the things I love about the essay is you really evoke the contemplative um, monastic traditions that they go into that place that you're talking about, that place of lament. And it's like staring truth in the face, right? It's like one of the, one of the tasks of, of any religion is 
staring truth in the face and asking those hard questions and finding ways to live within a reality that's full of suffering. Yes. And what you're asking is how are we doing that today in the Christian church? How are we, how are we placing ourselves in the midst of a time of great anxiety and destruction and holding it and holding ourselves together. Yeah. And, and in the piece, I sort of, um, you know, I sort of tried to show how, how we're trying to do that and how it's not working. You know, I, I sort of parodied a couple of protests that I went to in DC uh, and sort of showed, at least from my view that, that most of the energy was going toward reaffirming democratic platitudes, you know, get out the vote. Um, Make sure you sign those petitions and let's shift our investments toward, you know, toward green energy and, and all that stuff's fine, but it's just not nearly enough. And it's not, it's not really anything distinctly religious either. And I, I think, I think within the Christian tradition, and this is true of, of so many other religious traditions, but we have something distinctive to offer and we should be thinking about what that is. And within the Christian tradition, I think one thing that's really distinctive is that, that deep connection with God that we're supposed to be cultivating. And when we do that, I think that then pushes us out into the world and that's the activist response, but there has to be that prior relationship with the divine first. And that's, that's the lifelong project that we're, you know, that those of us who follow the Christian path should be after. And, um, and it's, it's, it takes work and it takes stepping away from the fray and, um, and re reestablishing that relationship with the divine. But I think, you know, it's not a matter of quietism. It's not a matter of, of leaving responsibility behind. It's a way of entering more deeply into those problems that we face in the Anthropocene. I think that's very beautifully said. Thank you, Fred. Thank you for taking this time to have this conversation with us. Thank you, Helen. I appreciate it. Thanks for your great editing on the piece. It was great to work with you.